This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, I'm Greta Archbold. The first reading is taken from Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1 through to 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what, what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the next reading is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions, and light. In them may we learn of Christ, grasp his truth, and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. Well, uh, you might notice that I'm not Michael Jensen. Uh, he's sick this morning, so I've got his sermon. Um, with our powers combined, it might be the best sermon you've ever heard. <laughs> or maybe the worst. Let's see what happens. Well, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said, The arc of the moral universe is long. 
but it bends towards justice. But does it? In that one phrase, he expressed a deep hope within the human heart that the world will not turn out to be a place that is fundamentally unfair or even brutal. Somehow planted in the human breast, it is a desire to see wrongs righted and human affairs balanced. You know, we want crimes to be punished and we want the resources of the earth to be distributed to, with some degree of fairness. We want everyone to be treated with some degree of equality without prejudice. But is the world a just place? And for what kind of justice can we hope? Is it just that some of us are choosing between Aspen and Whistler while others don't even have running water? Is it just that an indigenous man can expect to live 11 and a half years less than a white guy like me and is more than 10 times likely to go to prison? Is it just that, according to a recent government study, less than 15% of sexual assaults are reported to the police and only 8.5% of those percent of those reported in New South Wales gain a conviction. Uh, you personally might at this moment be experiencing some kind of injustice that you've experienced in your life, an unanswered or unrecognised wrong against you, or an experience of imbalance in the social order that has disproportionately affected you. And you may still be hoping to be vindicated or you may have just given up on the idea of justice. Perhaps before I go on, though, I should define my terms a little bit. You know, justice can mean, on the one hand, what the court tries to deliver, a true verdict on a crime, perhaps, or deciding what is fair between two disputing parties. But justice is also what the government has responsibility for. We might call this social or systemic justice, the fair attribution of rights and distribution of resources and opportunities. So an injustice might, on the one hand, be Lindy Chamberlain being wrongfully imprisoned for killing her baby. Uh, on the other hand, it could be the White Australia policy. In both cases, the feeling is that there's something wrong that creates in us a desire to restore a balance or harmony, to answer the wrong. And sometimes we get a glimpse of justice, but very often it's left hanging, in which case, does the arc of the moral universe really bend towards justice? Or is that just rhetoric? Well, the Bible reassures us that we do live in a moral universe because the one who made it is fundamentally righteous and just. He made it to be like his just nature, and he declares himself its judge. J.I. Packer says, There are few things stressed more strongly in the Bible than the reality of God as judge. Abraham calls God the judge of all the earth. Psalm 75 verse 7 declares that God is the judge Psalm 82 pleads with God to arise, O God, judge the earth. And in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews calls him God the judge of all. So what then does God the judge do as judge? 
Well, the God of justice, who is judge, determines what right and wrong are. He is the lawgiver. Evil and good, they're not matters of personal perspective or opinion. What he calls evil is evil, and what he calls good is good. And it's not just that he judges the law, but it's the law that he gave in the first place that against which he judges. That is the yardstick that he made. And it's not just a random grab bag of personal preferences, because justice and righteousness reflect his very own character. They come from him. And what is not just and right are those things that fall short of him. And he hasn't left us ignorant or in the dark here because he has revealed his righteous character and given it to us in the law. And the Bible says that he has even written the law on our hearts, given us an inner sense of right and wrong that is our conscience. But not only is he the lawgiver, but we also see in Scripture that he punishes evildoers. He judges Adam and Eve when he expelled them out of the garden and cursed the ground. He punished Pharaoh, the evil slave master. And he judges the worshippers of the golden calf. And his punishment fell on the people of Israel at the time of exile for their hypocrisy, their, false, their faithlessness and their neglect of the poor. And he punished the deceit and hypocrisy within the early church in, in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. But his justice as the, as the judge is not only negative, because God stands against sin and evil so he can restore peace and renew the world. A world filled with his justice is a world of beautiful and harmonious order. Now, these examples are enough to show us that God is the judge and that he is serious about justice. And although they are partial, you know, not every injustice is judged now, they point to one of the most important biblical promises that God is coming to judge that one day he will judge the world and the Bible repeats this promise many times the book of Ecclesiastes says God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good whether it be evil and this isn't just an Old Testament promise but sometimes we think you know, God of the Old Testament, he's the one who judges. But God of the New Testament, he doesn't do that. But it's there in the New Testament even more. And Jesus is called the appointed judge. And so we look to a day of judgment, such as Jesus promises in Matthew 25, where he will separate the sheep from the goats. And Paul told the Athenians that God has appointed a day when he will judge the world by the man he has appointed, Jesus Christ. And he says in Romans chapter 2 that God will judge the secrets of human beings by Jesus Christ. And God judges with complete consistency and truth. He will not only judge, but he will judge as the omniscient judge who knows all. Not guessing the truth, but knowing it completely. And we need not fear that he'll be swayed by a greasy lawyer or bribed to look away. He sees all and judges with perfect and proportionate fairness. Now it's worth pausing here because I know that this way of thinking about God can, can strike a, a jarring or even unpleasant note. We hate to be thought of as judgmental. 
Although, in fact, I think we can be extremely judgmental. And we hate to think of ourselves as, as subject to a divine judgment. For how could that be anything but bad news? But when we think like this, I, I think we forget how much we actually long for justice. And that this longing is met by knowing that God is the judge. God as judge is exactly what we wish for. But also, we tend to buy caricatures of God the judge and forget to look to the character of God's justice. For God's justice is patient and merciful, and he vindicates the poor and the oppressed. We need to know that God is extremely patient with the human race. He doesn't fly off the handle or have difficulty controlling his moods. He warns us and he gives us time to turn to him. As 2 Peter 3.9 reads, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Sometimes we read passages in the Bible. God is judged and makes us kind of recoil in distaste. And yet... These very passages are evidence of his patience because with them he warns us and calls us to him to come to him for mercy. And so we we shouldn't be blind. We can't be blind to the consequences of our unjust behavior, but rather turn to him. And that's the next thing. That God's justice, the character of God's justice is that it's marked by mercy and a readiness to forgive. When Moses asked God to, re- to reveal himself to him at Mount Sinai, God said this. These are the words that he used to summarize his character. He said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Paul says in Ephesians that God is rich in mercy. A couple of years ago, Michael ate his chocolate mud cake in front of us. I don't know if you remember that in our series on Ephesians to show us that rich mercy of God. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Uh, And he has, God has, as Ezekiel says, no pleasure in the death of a sinner but would rather that he or she turn from wickedness and live. And so in an era of cancel culture and the savage condemnation on Twitter, we find in God not only far more truth, but far more mercy than we do in each other. Now, God's mercy leaves us an interesting question unanswered. For how can the judge of the world be truly just and yet show mercy. How can those things happen at the same time? Well, we'll come back to that, but we should also say something else about God's justice. Because make no mistake, the Lord God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed. He sees not only the crimes that we commit against each other, but also the systems that we create or uphold that put others down. He will certainly hear the cries of those who suffer from cruelty, neglect, prejudice, or poverty. 
Remember what we read in Psalm 146 just before. It said, He upholds the cause, the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The prophets of Israel, they tore strips off their own people for their exploitation of the poor and the widow and the orphans. Now, it's, it's not that it's somehow more holy to be poor or to be a victim, just as it's not more holy to be rich. But we can be sure that whatever human justice fails to correct, the Lord God certainly will. Now, it may, have escaped, not, it may not have escaped your notice that right at the centre of the Bible is a judicial act, but a perverse one. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, condemned to torture and death by a complete caricature of a judicial process. He had false witnesses brought in to testify against him. And his court of appeal, his final court of appeal, literally washed his hands of him. This is not justice. Jesus was an innocent man, if there ever was one. And yet, as the disciples came to see, the cross was the ultimate revelation of God's justice. For in it, we see just how much God hates sin, our sin, and there we see that God is not morally bankrupt, but that he takes injustice very seriously indeed. This, the cross, is what God has to say about the evil we do. We see that there is a lawgiver who punishes sin in complete, complete truth. And yet we also see a God who is patient and merciful. He is both completely just and yet in his justice, he forgives. Well, how does this work? Well, on the cross, we see the judge, the God who is the judge, himself judged in our place. The judge was judged. The one to whom justice was owed, the one who determines right from wrong, bears in himself the price of human injustice. He at once condemns sin. He says the strongest possible no to it. And he bears it upon his own shoulders. He turns that no upon himself. And the proof of this is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Human justice condemned him to death. But God vindicated him in justice by raising him back to life. God's justice did not fail on the cross and so there on the cross, we see what Martin Luther King said was true. That the arc of the, universe, of the moral universe does bend toward justice. It bends towards justice, not because we morally evolve, but because the God who, the God who is the judge so bends it. King knew this, of course, because he was a reader of the Bible and because he was thoroughly soaked in the biblical views of justice. 
And so it's fitting that we take one of MLK's favourite verses from the Bible, from the prophet Amos, as our closing prayer and call to action. Let justice roll down like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. We know that God the judge will judge. We know that we live in a meaningful, morally meaningful universe in which every act has its consequence. We know that the secrets will one day be revealed and all things will come to light. So let us live as though this is true. Let us not live as practical atheists who think we can hide from the justice of God or avoid it. There is hope for the downhearted, for the victim, for the poor. And God has not forgotten your cause either. And if we think we've got away with our acts of injustice scot-free, well, think again. Will not the judge of the earth do right? Do you not fear his justice? That he's not swayed by self-justifications and technicalities. And so let us not neglect the cause of God's justice while we can. We're called upon to seek God's justice and righteousness. How can we be callous to injustice where we see it? We know that God's heart is for the poor, the widow, the orphan. So how can we not have his heart? We know that our institutions need to be governed in truth and integrity. So how can we not pursue those? We know our God is merciful. So how can we not be forgiving toward others? Now, it is complicated and it is hard. We're we're only finite human beings. We cannot deliver on perfect justice. And the needs of justice do not cease. The unjust system of apartheid was dismantled in South Africa, for example. But you could not say that justice has settled perfectly on that land since then. But this is no excuse for apathy. The prophet Micah really helps us in our human frailty when he said, Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so with this in mind, what are you doing to pursue God's justice in the world with his help? And finally, we are to shelter in God's mercy. The great arc of God's justice moves inexorably towards a day of judgment. And who could stand on that day? Who of us could stand the searing heat of God's truth about us? And yet, God is the God whose property is always to have mercy, to quote the prayer book. He invites us into the shelter of his forgiving love. Even as he condemns our sin in Jesus Christ, he justifies us, calls us innocent, and declares that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is the lawgiver and the judge. He will bring his justice in that we dare to hope. Because in Jesus Christ, we know that God's justice also means his merciful love. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your justice. We thank you that you do not let wickedness and injustice pass you by. That You do indeed take it seriously. 
Father, we praise you for your mercy and forgiveness in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so help us to see that afresh today. Stir up in us a deep sense of thankfulness for your forgiveness and mercy and grace in the light of your justice. And so help us to live a life that seeks to live out this justice in the world around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.